And welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. This week, we're going to boldly go where this podcast has never gone before. I know, I know, that was awful. This week's guest is Tim Russ, better known as Tuvok from Star Trek Voyager. Uh, Tim, believe it or not, has been in a lot of other Star Trek stuff, and we'll get into that as well. Uh, A lot of kids know Tim as Principal Franklin from uh, Nickelodeon's iCarly. I know that's where my kids know him from. Uh, We get into his uh, musical career. He's a pretty accomplished musician. We got to get into that. The state of the music industry. And one of my all-time favorite movies is Spaceballs. And believe it or not, I did not know that Tim was in Spaceballs. Believe it or not, he was the Spaceball that said, we ain't found shit. I, it didn't occur to me until a few months ago, and that was actually Tim. And helping me relive my youth today is Tim Russ. Tim, how are you today? Doing all right. Doing okay. Yes, so, um, so much to get to, but let's start from the beginning. When did you first uh, want to become an actor? I, was, I, I got uh, interested in it when I was in high school. I was 16, and I was uh, taking an acting class in high schools and electives. And uh, a couple of uh, plays that were put on by the schools that time. And um, I really enjoyed it. So I decided to uh, go to a college that specialized in theater and, uh, and got my uh, uh, bachelor's degree in uh, theater. Now, um, I know you're an accomplished musician as well. What was... Acting or music, your first love? Uh, well, music actually. I mean, I was I was playing music uh, before uh, I finished high school. I started playing music roughly around 15, 16 years old, and um, and then kept playing all the way through to present day. But that that sort of took off first, and then later on, the acting uh, picked up. Right now, uh, you've recently released um, a new CD with music. Can you talk about a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, I just recently released, um, it's probably uh, the third or fourth CD in a line of them that uh, is called Lifeline. And um, and it's, uh, it, it's featuring a little bit more, I want to say, of the, of the blues pop sort of sound um, in terms of the feel of the music that's on there uh, compared to the other CDs that I had before. So uh, there's some cool stuff. I've got a couple of my own tracks on there, and then uh, there's some other tracks that are from different uh, blues artists like Willie Dixon, Howlin' Wolf, um, you know, uh, Kev Moe. So uh, there's a number of pieces on there um, from a number of different artists that are basically um, rearrangements and covers. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I really enjoyed Kev Moe, so I'll have to check that out. Uh, yeah, no. yeah, it's cool. Yeah, now, um, you're not the only uh, member of the Trek universe who is a musician. Oh, uh, Brent Spiner plays Data. Released, I think, an album or two. Have you ever thought of working yeah. with him? <laughs> well, I mean, um, you know, he does. Bob Petrano also sings as well. Uh, Max Prudential also sings. Right. Chase Masterson is a singer also. I mean, we all have our own, you know, uh, styles in music, and uh, and they don't really do it um, as, as, as much as I do. I'm the one that's still, out of all of them, that's actually performing on a regular basis uh, with my own band uh, here in L.A., so, um, you know, that, I, I don't believe that they're pursuing um, that aspect <clears throat> of performing that much. Um, and our styles are all very different. 
Now, do you ever do you stay mainly in LA with your band? Do you you know try to tour a little yeah. bit? Yeah, I'm basically based here. I mean, I don't really have the time to to put together, um, you know, a big tour of any kind. Um, you know, leaving the the, the 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 state and going out and you know um, playing a bunch of clubs or bars across the country. And I don't really have, you know, I don't have enough radio play as it were to to warrant that kind of thing either. So <clears throat> the, the, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be practical to pursue that, really, at this point. Um, I get booked in a number of gigs here and there that uh, come in from people specifically for us to come play, and those are the ones that I usually take. So I have played overseas several times. It's just that, you know, it depends on what the event is and what, uh, and, and what the uh, request is for the band. Right. Now, I've asked a bunch of musicians their thoughts about uh, the music industry now, like streaming rather than like the actual physical copies of CDs or albums. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, it's, uh, that's where everything's headed, and um, and I prefer, you know, to work within the digital world as well. Um, I buy music um, online rather than um, you know picking up a CD in the store, and uh, so I, you know, I think that's a very practical way of doing things. It also keeps your your inventory and overhead down because you don't have to do any reproductions. It's easier to discover like new artists who like don't get really a lot of radio play, you know, via you know streaming, and it's very accessible that way. Oh, completely. Okay, I stumbled on the people by accident uh, simply because I typed in the wrong name, you know, or or another title that was exactly the same title as what I was looking for, but it was a different song, and then ended up downloading the song that uh, that I accidentally heard, you know, because I liked it. Um, yeah, totally. I've had it happen more than once. Uh, you know, that's. That, that, that's essentially uh, how it's done. And nowadays, it's like, you know, uh, you use the phone apps and you can just be in a store and hear it playing on the news app and you just look up the thing and record it, take it off of there, and then go find the track online and download it. I mean, that's that's how it's done. In the old days, you had to wait for the radio, you know, jock to tell you what the name of the song was. Now you just you can just listen to it in a store or in a coffee shop or whatever it might be um, and then, you know, get the name of the song and then go download it, you know, uh, upload it or download it on your phone, uh, and, and you'll have the track. I mean, that's that's essentially how it's done nowadays. Um, and, you know, I'm, uh, I think that for, for myself, um, my songs are all on CD Baby and they're all on iTunes. So I tell people, if you want to just listen to them, you, you get like almost a minute of sample now. It used to be shorter. Now it's almost a minute long of a sample of the tracks. I mean, you're going to hear enough of the song to know whether you like it or not. And then if you want to buy it, you just bang right then and there. It's, 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 it's tremendously practical and efficient and, uh, you know, it's the way to go. Some people don't like doing that because they want people just to buy this, the entire CD. They don't want them to buy the single songs, the single tracks on there. They want people to spend money on the entire CD. 
Yeah, I I bought plenty of CDs where I only like one or two songs and I you know drop fifteen dollars. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And Shazam yeah, is right. Shazam yeah, is probably. Shazam. I'm sorry. Yeah, Shazam is the, because of Shazam you don't have to do that. I mean, or or if you, if somebody recommends a track, you know, they said, oh, you got to check these guys out. Yeah, you go through and you say, mm, yeah, I like this track, and uh, the rest of them I don't really care for. I'm gonna get this one track and be on my way. You know. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. And with, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and with, with Shazam, you don't have to remember, uh, you know, a verse of a song in your head for a while, and so you can actually write it down on a piece of paper. You actually can just hold your phone up. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, again, there's this technology that never used to exist before. You know, to be able to recognize, a, you know, uh, everything from a famous painting to a particular, you know, to a measure and a half of a song, and all of a sudden you instantly have the track. get on the train or get off it, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's unfortunate the train is like, you know, it looks like the trains that you might see in, um, you know, in India and such because there's you know, people hanging off the sides of them and just packed and crammed in and that's what, what that is. Unfortunately, what happens is you have a glut of, of artists out there doing music and, you know, there's a huge percentage. I mean, they probably have no business making any kind of tracks. Right. Music, but, and then, then, then there's a few out there who are very talented and very skilled and now don't need a record company to make a record. And even they don't need to make a record. <laughs> they don't take any 
just upload the material, you know, uh, and people can hear it, and maybe they'll catch it, maybe they'll like it, you know. The only thing that the company's going to give you is promotional uh, benefits. They'll give you the money to uh, to make a music video that might get played on VH1. They'll give you money to uh, to uh, promote you um, or or to take you you know to take you, you know, and put you out on the road in front of other bands that have bigger names to warm up other groups and to tour with those groups and to promote your album. And they'll give you a certain amount of money. You might get some uh, radio play. You know, for whatever that's worth, because not many people are listening to the radio that much anymore. Um, they'll get you out there, you know, to, so that your music is exposed. They'll get you on a, a TV show like Saturday Night Live or Night Tonight Show or whatever it might be. And people get familiar with your stuff. Um, that's it, man. I don't even know between now and two years or five years from now, I, you know, how anybody's going to find out what. I hear the song is my daughter listens to Pandora. I mean, she listens to, you know, Spotify, a few other people, and, and she just, they just get the stuff, for, you know, for, as a reference from everybody, all of her friends, that they get from the same source, bouncing around. So it's very, to me, it's not the same as it was before. To me, it was a record company, radio station, radio play, video, music video on MTV of each one, and then everybody knows who you are. You know, to get started, to get established. As a new artist, um, you know how do you get that? You know your stuff is. There's so many outlets potentially for your material, and along with a whole lot of other people who also have their material in the same place. And how does that one track break through? You know, if you don't have some kind of exposure uh, on television of um, your material or live, you know, with uh, big big concerts and things like that. I mean, I don't. Know. Very, it's very different to me. There's only a handful of people breaking through that uh, that malaise, you know. Yeah, it's totally. It's you know, word of mouth, or that's it, pretty much. Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, I don't know. The next Gwen Stefani, you know, breaks out, or the next Lady Gaga, you know, comes up with a couple of tracks, you know, uh, and breaks out with these tunes. Uh, there are radio stations still playing music, um, as far as I know. Right? I mean, there's still radio stations still out, you know, playing tracks. I don't listen to them that much anymore, and my daughter doesn't really listen to them. You know, she gets her music from all the, on the streaming online. So, you know, if the tracks are on Pandora um, or somewhere else, how do, you, how do they break through all of the other tracks that are on there uh, and become a hit song? You know, how do they get to be that status? How does Billboard rate those tracks anymore uh, if people aren't listening that much to the radio? Uh, you know, I know my, like I said, my daughter doesn't listen to radio. She doesn't have a radio. You know, um, there's stations on the phone that you can get, stations on your, uh, you know, online or, you know, the internet that you can get, you can tune into. But again, who's. I, she got, I don't know if she listens to these other stations, you know. I, you know, so it's it's a and it's I think it's all word of mouth and referral that they find. So she gets them from her friends or gets them from somewhere else, and uh, you don't just stumble onto them anymore. So it's very tricky. I mean, I don't, you know, the ins and outs are very different now than they used to be. They're yeah. Very different. All right. So when you um, landed the role of uh, 
Tuvok on Star Trek Voyager. You were uh, quite the veteran of uh, Star Trek already. Um, what was it like playing a Vulcan? Well, it's uh, playing that role with Connor. shooting, you know, for long periods of time that you forgot to take off your ears? That I forgot to take them off? Yeah. Star Trek who have been pretty much on every series and been on like 10 seasons of Star Trek. You work with so many captains. Um, who is your favorite captain? Um, well, I mean, I'd have to say that uh, the working with Kate would be the most, uh, my favorite because I worked with her for seven years. Um, and uh, so I got to know her as a person as well. So she's, she to me was my favorite. Um, I only briefly worked with the other guys and and, uh, and so I didn't really have a chance to uh, that much of an interaction with them. Um, I enjoyed working with Patrick Stewart just because I enjoyed, you know, being able to talk to him uh, during those few days, um, you know, on set, just in between uh, setups and things and got to know. So I enjoyed it, working with him in that. Um, if I had to pick a number two choice, I would pick Patrick Stewart. I like working with him. I enjoyed working with him a lot. Yeah, which is kind of funny because he played uh, the poop emoji in the emoji movie. So he mentioned number two, and then you know he was number two. So that was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now, um, how did you get involved with um, being one of the stars and directing uh, the fan film of Gods and Men? Um, the uh, producer of that project just asked me out of the blue one day if I wanted to. Uh, to shoot one of the, to shoot it and and play uh, role and I said yeah sure we could do that um, he, uh, it just came out of the blue to he asked me about doing it um, and he, he didn't even have a script at the time uh, he was the script had to be written so we kind of all contributed to the story and uh, came up with what we came up with which I thought was very good I was very happy and very pleased to be able to to shoot that project. Um, and that was essentially how that worked. I didn't, you know, it just came to me. Uh, as a matter of fact, the other project as well initially came to me also. They just, 
he just contacted me out of the blue. I didn't even know what was going on. And asked me if I wanted to be involved in it. So, yeah, I would look at the story and script and try to get something that's shootable. Sure, we can do that. Now, were you surprised about the amount of, like, uh, track actors they've got to participate in those movies? Not really. Um, you know, they're actors. And uh, you, you, you call somebody to uh, resurrect the role that they played before, it's pretty straightforward, and it's, uh, you know, it's a working, uh, it's a, it's a, it's working gig. And it's a couple of days worth of shooting or a week worth of shooting or whatever it might be. And that's not too complicated. Um, it's, 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 it's a job, you know, when it comes down to it, it's a gig. So uh, to call all of them, you know, one after the other, if they're available and able to make it, some of them weren't available to do it. We would have had a couple of different actors in there. Uh, a couple were signed up and then had to, 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 to pull out the last minute because they had some other work that came in. So, you know, many of the actors, once they realized there were a lot of other people involved in this, in this, in this thing, also came forward. You know, uh, I wanted to be on it because others uh, from the Craig world were on it. You know, so it makes it easier to sign them up. But, uh, but yeah, we, you know, it, it was not a surprise to me. Right. Now, how has Star Trek impacted you? Well, it's a, it's a franchise. You know, it's a, it's a legacy type series. Um, it has a, a major following um, around the world, and it's and they're very loyal fans, very enthusiastic, and. You know, to be part of that uh, world, uh, essentially once you sign on to a, a role like the one that I had on the series for seven years, you are part of that franchise world um, forever. You know, I mean, as long as people can remember it or as long as people are watching it. So it's not going away. I mean, they're, they're constantly airing it. People are watching it for the first time. People are watching it again. Uh, so you are part of that world and... In the, fan, the minds of the fans, you will always be part of that world. Now, have they, because um, the Star Trek Discovery is coming out in the fall, have, you, have they reached out to you about participating or even directing any episodes? Um, no one has reached out to me as far as shooting them. They, uh, they are being filmed in Canada, in Toronto, I think in Toronto, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And... Um, Thus far, I have not contacted the, the producer for that show uh, to get a directing slot. I might be able to. It depends on how many they have to have filled by Canadian directors during the season. Okay. So there might not be that many slots to get in there, and I get the opportunity to do so. Um, and, and I haven't been approached to be in the project in front of camera either as of yet. Uh, the timeline doesn't work for my character, so whatever it is I end up doing, it'll be something different. Right. Uh, now, yeah. um... Which piece of like Star Trek technology you wish you had right now in your present day life? Oh, teleporter! Man. That's that's it right there, man. Yeah. Being uh, in LA, I, right? I, yeah, <laughs> just sitting in four or five traffic, man. I'd rather have the teleporter. That's that's the way to get around. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way to get around. Number two, and this might be the holodeck, but uh, the first one is the teleporter. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, that's in, it. Probably in that order would be. Uh, be a very cool thing. Yeah, totally, totally. Maybe, maybe yeah. even have phasers on your car if you're sitting in the 405. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now there's always like this rivalry between like Star Wars and Star Trek, um, you know, the fans and stuff like that. I mean, I'm a fan of both, but you had a great video a couple years ago on uh, May the 4th. How did you get involved in that video? Uh, 
Some of the line. I mean, the first time I saw it, I was sitting on a train to work, and I was laughing really? out loud. Some some of your lines were just classic, and just the way you delivered them were really funny. <laughs> yeah, they did a very good job of writing. Um, they were writing the thing out uh, to begin with, uh, because I didn't see it until I got there that day, and we just shot the thing uh, piece by piece. It, it was, you know, I hadn't had a chance to go over it that much, but. Uh, it was very funny. I mean, it turned out to be very funny. I mean, I, I do like satire, so um, I did enjoy, you know, what the whole plug was. Um, I was familiar, obviously, with both uh, projects since uh, the both first one ever came out. Uh, knew, you know, about the, the genre. I knew about the show and the franchise and stuff. And so it was to see what they did with it was very funny. Uh, you know, having a go at all the uh, characters and circumstances Wow, um, I had no idea up until recently that you were in Spaceballs, and like it cracked me up that I found that that was that was you with that line. Yeah, um, it was uh, back in the day. It was a day's worth of work, and uh, went out and did it, and came home, didn't think much about it, and it just turns out to be uh, years and years down the line, uh, uh, somewhat of an iconic. Uh, film moment, as it were, um, that's out there, and, and I, you know, it's all, it's all after the fact. Um, you know, at the time, it was just a, it was, it was one piece of dialogue and a day's worth of work. Uh, <laughs> 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 that's, that's all it was, and you know, it's grown into its own this this huge, uh, iconic sort of, uh, like I said, film moment that people, everybody, everybody seems to know about that, that one line in that movie. I, it's remarkable how many people actually remember that or, you know, are familiar with it. I can't tell you. It's a staggering number of people. <laughs> that, that whole scene is, is, is classic. And, I mean, he's, Mel Brooks has been, I guess, trying to make a sequel for years now. I mean, I don't know if that's ever going to come to fruition, but they uh, come calling. you going to uh, get the pick out? <laughs> yeah, you know, if, uh, if, if they manage to get that thing off the ground, which I can't, you know, I, I honestly can't imagine why it wouldn't take more than 10 minutes for somebody to say, yeah, I mean, they're only, they're only remaking every movie, TV show that's ever been made anyway. And that's, that's basically the theme for the day because the folks in charge of the studios now are all, you know, uh, bean counters and corporate types that, you know, uh, that are part of the mega corporation and, you know, there's no independent anything anymore. So, you know, it's all about quarterly profits. And if you're going to just raise the library of what stuff you already own and just redo it, you know, 12 times, that, that's, that's the, the way everything's going. So, 
I can't imagine why, you know, the studio that their own rights wouldn't just turn around and say, yeah, let's have this done. You could have it done in a year, you know. Uh, you've got more material to work with. You've got three new movies. Uh, you have the middle three that were done. Um, you could have an absolute field day with uh, a party. The only thing that the only thing I could see that might be an issue for them is the fact that they still have, you know, Disney still has the other one to release. So they may want to wait until after those are done and out and have made money before they, you know, uh, green light a party. And quite honestly, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's nothing Disney can really do because it's a party. You can do a satire of cannot be held liable for it because it's that power. So uh, I don't remember who did Space Man. I don't know if it was Universal or somebody out of the studio did it, but whoever did it, you know, the same way they did it before, they could do it again. And they could do it any time if they wanted to. So uh, unless, it's owned, unless it's owned by Disney, unless Disney has the rights to it or has to say so about it, then, then there's no reason why it couldn't get done, especially if no you know, um, behind it and executive producing it. And he may be waiting as well until there's an opportunity to get uh, the right story and the right script. And uh, he may want to wait until the last from the last week and he something from there in the movie. So we don't know what that, that storyline is going to be, given the, the little three that were made and then the, the, these recent three that were made. We don't know what the last, how the thing's going to wrap itself up. So it may wait until that point in time before they start actually doing it. Uh, and I'd love to be in it again. Sure, I'd like to resurrect that character, of course, in a different circumstance, but uh, but something along that line, yeah. It would be great. It would be a Sure, it would. Yeah, I, I think it was MGM that released it and has the rights. Uh, was it MGM originally? Yeah, originally, so I don't know if they st- would still do now. Well, yeah, they're owned by somebody else, so... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it all depends on... You know, uh, like I said, what the, the timing is, what, the, uh, what they want to do as far as the, the, the last of the films um, that are released uh, of this three to see what they're going to do with this three and how it's going to turn out. It, it, it may make a big difference. If they release it before then, they might be missing out on some stuff that, that could be useful to the, to the whole thing. So I, my guess is they'll wait until the third stuff and then you know, let it, let it breathe for a minute and then come out and do the, the next parody. And there's no way they're not going to make money. There is no way that they would not make money. Oh, of course. They can have an entirely different cast. They don't have to have all the same players. They can have an entirely different cast uh, playing the roles or whatever because it's a whole and virtually an entirely new audience that's watching it. So, you know, they can get away with all that. Yeah, and, and he, he and, keep, and new characters that have to be portrayed. So totally, and he he could pretty much spoof George Lucas and release one now, and then kind of tinker with it. Add you know, a special edition of the movie. <laughs> they had like scenes and you know, ten minutes each movie. Ended up making like a four hour movie three years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You could you know, but as a comedy, you know, you'd want to keep that thing around. I would keep it around ninety minutes when I get in and get out quick. If it's a comedy, you want that pace to go bam, 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 bam. Especially the book style. I mean, you know, I I would use some of that, and I would I would prefer, you know, I would prefer a little bit more of a mix in, in terms of the, the 
Material to work with, but before I let you go, yeah, yeah I, I have I have two kids, and watch I don't know, a couple of years ago, my my son was turning about seven eight years old, watching Nickelodeon, uh-huh. and all of a sudden I see Tuvok Tim Ross playing Principal Franklin on iCarly. <laughs> yes, correct. Yes. Yeah. Um. Did you audition for that role? Did they come calling? How how that happen? Because like when you sit through some kid shows, you know it's kind of it's tedious. You kind of just you know you sit there with them, you know maybe yep. fall asleep. Yep. And that yep. was a really enjoyable show. <laughs> that is correct. Dan Schneider is a brilliant writer and producer, and he knows he knows exactly how to write right on the border between the adult and, and, and the kid, so that the adult has something to laugh at uh, and enjoy watching it uh, as much as the kids do. And it's not too crazy and, and screaming, hollering, and running around. It's, it's, it was a clever premise. The circumstances and situations they came up with were very good, and very interesting. And I thought it was uh, very, very well done. Uh, perfectly cast, uh, very well written, very well produced. Uh, lots of attention to, uh, given to detail. And uh, 
had a maturity to it that was uh, that made it very very popular and and allowed uh, the parents to be able to watch it alongside their kids. Absolutely, that's just the way it turned out. Now you're walking down the street. Do you get recognized as Principal Franklin or Tuvok? Oh, it depends on where I am. I mean, sometimes it's Principal Franklin uh, by the younger kids um, and or kids now who used to be younger. Um, and often, and yeah, oftentimes it'll be uh, it'll be Voyager. Um, I'd say it's probably fifty-fifty. Maybe maybe a, a few more people will uh, recognize me from Voyager that. Awesome. Do, do they ever uh, shout the we ain't found shit line at you at all? <laughs> uh, no, not because, uh, <laughs> because the majority of people don't know that I was in that. Uh, there's only, you know, it's only when they see it that they realize that, oh yeah, he's in that as well. But otherwise, off the top of their head, just walking around, they're not going to recognize him from that. It's got to be brief. <laughs> right. Um, they have to see, uh, the, you know, uh, a picture of me in it or something, or somebody had to tell them I had to say something. They wouldn't they're not going to automatically realize that I was there. Right. Uh, unless they're hardcore fans of some type, you know. Yeah, Tim, thanks for a few minutes today. I really appreciate it, and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you very much, man. No worries. Take care. And a special thanks to Tim for joining us today. You can follow Tim on Twitter at TimRuss, the number two. You can also check him out on his website, TimRussWebpage.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the first Noah 19 be sure to like the page, We're Living My Youth, on Facebook. Be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. Uh, special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do it without you guys. And uh, be on the lookout for the next episode of Reliving My Youth.